You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, good, good afternoon, everybody, and folks watching at home. It's been a long time since you've been outside our own houses, hasn't it? We forget what all our friends and family homes look like maybe over the past year. But if you remember or even think of going into your own house, maybe you walk through the, the front door and there's a table or there's a wall and there are pictures up often, aren't there? Or maybe you go into the living room and there's pictures up on your mantelpiece or on coffee tables dotted around the room. And the pictures in those are often really fond memories of either people or moments aren't there? They're, they're mean something to us. They're really, really important. It might be possibly a, a wedding day, uh, center stage on the mantelpiece, or maybe an anniversary, a wedding anniversary of all the family around, pictures of family, of brothers and of sisters, and sometimes in photographs. And memories come flooding back to us, don't they? You may be sitting in your home and you look up and you see maybe you're a picture of your son or daughter on the beach as a family day out on the beach, but behind that photograph, you know what else went on that day. You remember that was the day Dad fell off a seat and got sand in the sandwich and was raging. You remember that moment. But if I was to come into your house, I wouldn't know what's behind that. It's a memory for you. It reminds us, it reminds you of what happened on that day. And sometimes in people's homes, there's things that you've made, isn't it? It might be a piece of clay pottery, or it might be a Lego Death Star, or it might be a so a painting that you've done or a painting of somewhere special, something that's a great passion to you, a picture of Joey Dunlop up or an ornament of a piper that reminds you of your, your, your passion for piping or, or something else that you love or an ornament about the farm that reminds you of the farm. There are things in our homes, in your homes, that sparks memories for you and special memories for you. And in Joshua chapter 4, the, the end point is to spark memories it's to spark memories for the God's people of Israel. And what are they to remember? They are to remember God's might and God's grace. That's what they're to remember, God's might and God's grace. So whenever you're asked about a certain photograph or a certain ornament from your home, you might be able to tell the story behind it, what all went on in the background. You'll be able to explain the significance behind it. And when it comes to God's might and grace in our lives, don't we often fail to explain God's grace in our lives and in history? We forget what God has done and what God has shown. We're going to think about Joshua really three and four today. So please have your Bibles out. But remember that Joshua spent these two spies into Canaan, and especially Jericho. As they gathered intel, they met Rahab, and they experienced God's rescuing hand and protecting hand. And Rahab told them that the people were afraid of God, that their hearts melted because of God's might. They had heard all of what God had done. And as we uh, study this together, I just want to look at key events, and then we'll think about what it means for us uh, today. So chapters 3 and 4 is all about the crossing of the River Jordan, that idea of passing over crossing. In those two chapters, we get that idea 22 times, and just in case we miss the detail. But together, chapters 3 and 4 help us remember God's might and God's grace. So what's the first event we see? We see simply the crossing of the Jordan, don't we? We simply see the crossing of the River Jordan. At the end of Joshua 1, Joshua gets the elders together and speaks to them. And again, he does the same in chapter 3. And he does in chapter 3 to speak to the elders to get them prepared for crossing the river. 
And you'll see chapter 3 is full of details of what is going to happen, what will happen. So in verses 2 to 5 of chapter 3, you'll see that there are details and instructions about the crossing. Joshua speaks to the officers who then go out to the different tribes and distribute the news. And Israel was going to move, and before they got even crossing, they had to prepare themselves. In verse 5, Joshua says that they had to consecrate themselves. As he speaks to the nation for the very first time, he's been speaking to the elders, but the very first instruction he gives the people is to consecrate themselves, to make themselves holy. God was going to do something. So it happens in Exodus 19 where the people consecrate themselves before God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. And we have anticipation of what lies ahead. There's more details in chapter 3. What happens with the ark? Well, the ark is going in front of the people. Okay, the ark is going to go in front. And we'll think about that in a wee second or two. But as the priests are carrying this ark, as they step foot into the river, as they get their feet wet, what happens? The river stops. This harvest time, it's the springtime, the harvest for them. The river is flowing, it is full, it is flowing heavily and fast. And well, as soon as they step foot in the river, the Jordan stops. You imagine the trickle of water, or the, the flow of water getting less and less and less until there was nothing to come. But we've seen that before, haven't we? Water stopping in, God, in Israel's life journey, haven't we? This time it's going over the river, and these people going over the river, they've never experienced anything like this before. Forty years previous, that generation, the parents and the grandparents, do you remember they crossed over the Red Sea? But because of their disobedience, God said that they will never see the promised land. Well, here we might have some children experiencing this again, but for most people it is a first-time experience of God's might and of God's grace here. And Joshua orders the priests to pick up the ark, and carry it before the people. The ark is representing of God's presence. And they have to stand well back from it because it's God's presence is holy. They follow the Lord. The Lord, in a sense, leads them into the promised land. The ark always goes before Israel whenever they're going to a place of rest. Often it's behind or in the middle. Whenever they're going to a place of rest, the ark goes first. And where's the ark now? It's leading the way, isn't it? They go across on this dry land. And in chapter 4 and verse 1, not boggy ground, dry land. And verse 1 of chapter 4, is, and we see just really the crossing's completed, isn't it? All the nation have finished passing over the Jordan. See, God, he had rescued Israel out of Egypt, rescued them out of slavery. But what was his promise? His promise was to give them rest. In other words, to enter the promised land. They had seen the crossing of the, the Red Sea. They had experienced it under Moses. And now, in a sense, they're experiencing something similar with Joshua. That they would remember, their tell their children of God's grace and of God's might. God was able to take them out of Egypt, but that just wasn't the end point. Not just out of somewhere, but to somewhere. Israel's journey is not complete until they live in the land. And God is showing that he has the might, the power, and the grace to complete this journey of salvation from beginning to end. That is why the Lord goes before. It's the Lord leading them. It's the Lord completing it, if you like. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? It's a verse that many of us will, will know. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's working in Israel. 
take them out of Egypt, and God is working to bring them into the promised land. And Paul is saying for us that he who began a good work in us, through his Spirit who works in our hearts, he will bring it to completion. Despite all the, the fumblings and the feelings that we have in our Christian life, the temptations when we fall into sin, God will display his might, power, and grace from beginning to end in our salvation. From before the foundations of this world, through our mire of sin and of filth and of dirt, Jesus' death and resurrection brings it to completion. God will finish the work in us. Even when we stumble and fail, and feel like we are failures as Christians, God will complete his work in us through faith in Jesus. Why? Well, his spirit will not leave us nor forsake us. His spirit is in us. Can you imagine for Israel, finally, these people have heard all about God's promise to Abraham, about a land that they never thought they would see. And after years of waiting, and even for this generation, now having crossed the river, they're standing in the promised land. Crossing the river. What happens as they are crossing the river then? Well, David's touched on it already. They gather stones from the Jordan. God's miraculously caused the waters of the Jordan to stop. And they cross in dry ground. But while the priests are standing in the middle of this dry riverbed, as the waters are held back, the Lord tells Joshua to tell the men of Israel to gather a stone. Twelve men, one from each tribe, and they sense to represent the whole. One from each tribe to represent the whole of Israel. And these twelve stones, well, we'll come to think about what they mean, but they are to remember to remind them of God's might and of God's grace. To remember God's might and God's grace. Every man, one man from every tribe is to gather one stone. And we'll come to think more of the meaning later. But very simply, they gather the stones from the Jordan. What happens next? Verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the day of his days of his life. Seems like a strange thing for God to do, isn't it? To exalt a leader, to be in, everybody be in awe of Joshua. But that's exactly what God does. Why? Well, in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, God said he would simply do this. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Why? That they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Because can you imagine Moses, the great leader for 40 years that dealt with all the plagues that brought them out of the Red Sea, who led, or led them in the wanderings of the desert, who was God's uh, prophet, who spoke for, to the people for, and, and God's representative. Can you imagine all the, the elders getting behind Joshua? But you can imagine outside of the elders and the tribes, there are rumblings going on, couldn't you? Joshua. I think not just one of the 12 spies that went and told us not to go in in the first place. You can imagine that transition for Joshua was difficult. It couldn't have been easy. The struggle ahead in the promised land that was to come, Joshua and the people of Israel needed confidence with Joshua's position. The Lord's exaltation of Joshua results in Israel respecting him and standing in awe. The point is that Israel now see very clearly that Joshua was the successor to Moses as their leader. He was going to be their new leader. The elders knew it, but maybe the people didn't quite get it. Because God knows what lies ahead. 
It's important for the people of Israel to have a high opinion and respect and awe of Joshua. It would have to be very clear that he's from God. Why? Because, well, Joshua in upcoming wars, as we'll see in later chapters, there will be really hard commands to give, hard commands to receive, and some really odd and strange commands too. They have to come from a leader with respect, with awe, who is God's leader. And now all of Israel can see that. Joshua is now held in a similar esteem of Moses. Get our minds around it. Moses is the greatest leader Israel ever had. The Bible tells him is the greatest leader. And here they have the same awe of Joshua as they have of Moses. And that meant this occasion for Joshua and for all the people. And as Joshua is exalted, the priests rise with their ark and they finish their crossing of the river. So the people are overtaken. And the only people with wet feet on the dry ground are the priests. And sorry, simply the waters returned. So in Exodus 14, if you remember, Moses had to hold out his staff over the Red Sea and God parted the sea. And then to return the waters together, Moses held out his staff again. And it's like a bookend of the covers of the book for that story of the Red Sea. And it's the same here with the River Jordan. The ark comes on and the ark leaves and the water flows again. But as the, the priests are coming back and as all the people are standing in awe, chatting amongst each other of God's might and of God's grace, seeing what he has done. What else is going on? Well, we have a memorial constructed, don't we? In the last part of chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. But what day does this all happen on? You see it there in verse 19? The tenth day of the first month. Is it just like another random date, like the 25th of April, 21? Why, why is it there? There's no random date. The tenth day of the first month is the same date we find in Exodus 12. The day where God instructs Israel to get a lamb without blemish and prepare for the Passover. That's how the story of salvation starts. Tenth day of the first month. This is how it ends. Where they enter in a place of rest. The tenth day of the first month, God's going to bring them to that place of rest. Forty years to the day. But what is the meaning? Whenever they gather these 12 stones up, they put them in a pile and look at them. What's, all, what's, what's, what's the point behind it? It seems quite odd and strange. Well, the point is that in the future, people will come to this place, Gilgal. They will see the memorial and learn of the events of crossing the River Jordan, just like we have cenotaphs and so on. We come at certain times of the year and remember all that's happened in the past. And for this generation crossing the River Jordan, just as they had experienced the before them, the Red Sea, they have their own experience. Where here they can remember God's events, God's might and God's grace, and getting them across the, the river and remember what God has done before in Egypt and in the wilderness. It's all in verse 24, the, the reason behind this memorial, that all people might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Rahab was aware of God's might. We've come across this before in this book that all people would know God's might. This would be a reminder for Israel that they are to be wholehearted in their loyalty and obedience and their following of their Lord, that their hearts again would melt in a love and a devotion for God because every time they would see it, they would remember God's might and God's grace. After crossing the river, Joshua sets up these 12 stones Generations of Israelites would come and see the stone memorial, the stone memorial 
and remember. Remember God's might and God's grace. But what has chapters 3 and 4 to do with us? We can't go to Gilgal and see those 12 stones. There's a couple of things we learn. First thing we learn that we need to be, as Christians, obedient to God's instruction. In chapter 4 and verse 3, we have the instruction from God, take 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. Verse 8, the people of Israel did as Joshua commanded. In verse 10, they did everything and finished what the Lord had commanded. Again, it seems like a strange thing to be asked to do, but what do they do? They do it. They obey God. Their obedience, is sh- their obedience shows their love and loyalty for God's grace and God's might. One commentator uh, says, says this, Obedience to God's word is an essential part of effective service and leadership among God's people. Obedience to God's word is supplementary? No. An extra add-on? No. It's an essential part of Christian service. Some things we like, some things we don't, but it's an essential part. Yes, our, our obedience doesn't add to our salvation. We'll never earn that. That's all of God's might and of God's grace. But to show our love and devotion for him is an essential part of effective service. And then one another verse he quotes on that is Acts 2, 42, which we'll think about tonight, where they devoted themselves. We too need to devote ourselves to God's word. It's an essential part of being a Christian. Second point of application then is for the boys and girls, okay? So children, boys and girls, sometimes you might think the sermon's not for me, but it always is and should be. And well, if you look at verse 21, I wonder, can you guess what the application for our children might be? What does verse 21 say? And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? In other words, children, boys and girls, ask questions. Maybe some adults need to do that too. Ask questions. And then the flip side of that is parents answer them, explain to them. Let me give you two quick illustrations. Whenever I was a boy, I went to a to football match with my dolly. I'd see Portie Down play, and they were good in those days. <laughs> but I went to go see Portie Down play. It was just my first game. And, well, it's your first game of football. You wouldn't have a clue what's going on. You need to explain. The ball goes out there as a throw-in, which team belongs to. Corner goal kicks, goals, 90 minutes. All of that I needed to learn. And it's done by someone explaining it to you, isn't it? Week by, week by week, we would go back and it would get explained. And eventually, well, I understand a little bit. The second one is this. You know, we have a two remotes at home for some reason for the TV. And one of them is always just that little bit dodgy. If you set it down, it hits a button somehow. And you know what it does? It's the audio descriptor button. Do you know that button on the remote, the audio descriptor button? So let's say we're watching James Martin on a Saturday morning. Okay, so James is, you know, he's jumping. So this is one of my favorite recipes. It's really easy to do. It's only 36 steps, and you can do it in two hours. It's really simple. Okay, so he's chopping away, looking all around him, and I can see what's going on. I can hear what James Martin is saying, but then the audio descriptor, what it does, it says, James is chopping the garlic and putting it in the hot pan. That's what the audio It explains every step, what's going on, for people to understand what's going on. And that's what it should be like with our children in church, shouldn't it? Explaining what's going on, not just coming week by week, hoping they figure it out for themselves, but explaining, commentating what's going on. 
Why are there different prayers during the service? Point out, point out a few words in the songs that we sing. Point the scripture to them. Help them listen and engage in church. Why is there an offering plate normally? It's act of worship, isn't it? So boys and girls, this is your challenge today. And I'm not sure what boys and girls age ends at. We'll say uh, older ones as well. I'll give the teenagers a new question too. Boys and girls, this is your challenge. Ask a question to mom and dad at lunchtime about the service. Today, tonight, every Sunday, ask questions and parents answer them. That's how you learn, isn't it? You just watch. You have to figure it out yourself. You'd be lost. We need the audio descriptor for our children. And then finally, Israel put up these stones. Why? To remember God's might and grace. And that's exactly what we must do. In Joshua chapter 1, we had God's unstoppable and unchanging grace. In Joshua 2, we had God's marvelous grace. In Joshua 3 and 4, we have God's memorable grace, or what it should be. But how often do we forget it, don't we? We mope about our days. We forget God's blessings, mercies, and grace. We forget our security that we have through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, the Spirit working in us. We forget that our ultimate security comes from the one who never changes. Israel needed to plant 12 stones to remind themselves of the Lord's grace and might. In times of trouble, they would go to the monument and it would help them recall of how God kept his promise to them to save them. But it's also easy to forget God in times of blessing too, isn't it? But whenever they would go to the stones, if they were to go to the stones in time of blessing, they would be reminded it's all of God's grace and all of God's might. God's people needed signs to remember God's might and God's grace. Just consider the ways God has shown himself faithful to us in our lives. He will keep his word in the future. is just evidence that he will do that because of what he's done in the past. God's people need reminded and we need signs to remind us of God's mighty acts of salvation, not Israel's mighty acts of salvation from slavery to rest, but from sinners to salvation in Jesus. Joshua's memorial today, we could go to it. In fact, we couldn't go to it, sure we couldn't. But imagine 20 years down the line from where we are in Joshua 4. They have the land. The children who crossed the River Jordan have now their families, and they're going on their holiday. And they go down to the stones of Gilgal, and they see them. The kids ask, Dad, what do those stones mean? What would the answer be? It would be the answer of the whole story of salvation, wouldn't it? Why God brought them out of Egypt and into that land, reminding them of God's mercy and of God's grace and of God's might. We still need those signs. That's why we have our Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, morning and evening, to remind ourselves of God's might and of God's grace. That's why we need to pray and read our Bibles. That is why we have the baptism and communion, those visible signs of what Jesus does for us. We need to remember God's might and grace. Think to the photographs on your mantelpiece, or maybe the happiest day of your life, or our favorite holiday that you have. You have the photographs, you have the moments, but there's something else going on in the background too, isn't there? Sometimes we have a box or a collection of things that help us piece together the whole days, mementos of that day to remind us of exactly what had been going on. That's what these 12 stones are for. 
That's what the scripture is for. That's what Sundays are for. That we would remember God's might and grace in our lives. And in doing so, daily, weekly, it warms our hearts. It causes our hearts to praise him because we remember not us, but it's Jesus. It's God's might and grace working in our hearts. Having looked at what God has done in Joshua 3 and 4, having remembered what he's done in us and through us, through his son Jesus, his spirit in our hearts that will never leave us nor forsake us, let's stand and worship as we close together. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Thank you.